Okay, welcome to our evening Dhamma session. Good evening, everyone. I often get asked by meditators, both here and on online, what more they can do. Yeah, I'm being mindful, but it's not really working, or it's it's not really quick enough for my tape for my uh, to my liking. What more can I do? It's kind of a greedy mind state, really. I mean, the whole idea of being able to do something is is dangerous. Once you start to think you're going to fix things, that there's some trick. I mean, much more common from meditators. Meditators will come and tell me about all the tricks that they've tried to to fix their problems, finding little ways to make it easier or make make the practice more profitable. And so you have to be careful of that. Otherwise you get into the idea that you're in charge, that you're in control. And in fact, meditation is about letting go of control. Stop trying to control. Stop having anything to do with with your experiences except experiencing them. Learn how to be present here now, pure and clear. That being said, there are tricks, tricks that are um, ratify, no, it's the word, um, are spoken of well by the Buddha. For example, there's there are other meditations we can practice, I've talked about those. You can practice loving-kindness If you're feeling really angry And sit there and say Yes, I have a bad relationship with this person or that person But let's put that behind us, may they be well And practice mindfulness of the Buddha So people sometimes will do chanting Or they bow down before the Buddha And make a wish in front of the Buddha May May I follow in his footsteps. May I be guided by his teaching. May I always be surrounded by his followers. Uh, another thing we can do is is the Buddha gave a list of daily reflections what he called um, topics for frequent reflection abhikanang abhinhang 
which should be things that should be reflected upon regularly. So, I mean, the most important is for us to be mindful, for us to practice mindfulness meditation. It doesn't mean there aren't other important things that help us along. Things that if we remind ourselves of these facts of life regularly, they keep us on track. You know, there's a way of, there are many things that keep you fenced in. Morality is one, for example, keeping the five precepts. Just reciting the five precepts gives you some framework within which to work. But the Buddha gave five themes for reflection. And they're fairly simple, but you know, worth knowing. It's not that it's going to be a deep teaching, it's just going to be a instruction. Hey, reflect on these every day. The first one is and it doesn't matter, this isn't just for this one the Buddha specifically says is not just for monks. This is for anybody. Everybody should reflect frequently I am subject to old age I am not exempt from old age number two I am subject to illness I am not exempt from illness number three I am subject to death I am not exempt from death Number four, I must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable to me. And number five, I am the owner of my kamma, the heir of my kamma. I have kamma as my origin, kamma as my relative, kamma as my resort. I will be the heir of whatever kamma, good or bad, that I do. Let's go through these They're fairly simple, they're related I am subject to old age People are intoxicated with youth are Intoxicated with our, our strength And our virility Our joie de vivre Our ambitions Right? From the very outset, we get up, we can't wait to get up and walk. And then when we walk, we want to run. We want to learn, we want to get, we want to become. And we build up personalities. We build up visions and dreams and wishes and wants, likes and dislikes. And we clamor for the things that we want, thinking we're feeling really good to be young. Spend some time every day thinking about the fact that you're going to get old. Puts everything in perspective. You ask yourself, what is important? Are all these things really useful? Is this really beneficial? Why am I working so hard? Why am I striving to become, you know? 
people put away money and, and for their retirement and then they die before they can use it. Or they're too old to enjoy it. Hmm. It's not necessarily true, but if you waste your life thinking about well, so many useless things. We're not going to be young forever. Old age comes to us, we get we lose our faculties, we lose our youth, reflect on that regularly. Number two, we're going to be, we're, we're subject to sickness. We're, the, the human body is a, is a, is a, There's a field. It's like the the well fertilized field, just waiting for the seeds to be planted. The body is is a receptacle of sickness. It's where sickness sickness rests. It's a nest of nest for the um, for the growth and accumulation of illness. We we get intoxicated by health. We're very happy to be healthy. And consider the fact that you might get very sick. Probably get very sick throughout your life. And consider that this health is only temporary. Doesn't mean it's bad to be healthy, right? We talked about this. Doesn't mean there's it's not good to be healthy. It's quite good to be healthy. The fact of the matter is our health is uncertain and the sickness is certain we're going to get sick and then you ask yourself what, how meaningful are all these things that I cling to if, if that's the case quite a useful way of Reducing our desires for meaningless things. As we start to see there must be something, there are things that are more important. The solution to life is to be, go beyond sense pleasure. Because sense pleasure can't help you when you're sick. And number three, we're all going to die. Reflect on your own death. I'm going to die. I mean, it really, it, it, it isn't a morbid thing to think about sickness or death. It's really quite calming and puts everything in perspective. It takes us out of, you know, it stops all this conflict. The Buddha said, you know, uh, you know people, people bicker and fight as though they're going to live forever. If only they would stop and realize that and we're all going to be dead in a hundred years. Why are we? What are we fighting about? What does it all mean? What's the meaning of it? There is no meaning. Put everything in perspective, and it really makes you chill out when you stop fussing about everything. Stop chasing after things that can't satisfy you. 
things you can't take with you. Because number four, we're going to be parted and separated from everyone and everything that we hold dear and agreeable. Sabehi me piehi manapehi nana bhavo vina bhavo. We used to chant this at one monastery I was at. A couple of places we've chanted this. Every day we would chant it and then translate it into Thai. We hold on to all these things that we can't take with us. What are our what what are these things to us? Worrying about people, worrying about possessions. The problem is we try to cling to, it's like we try to cling to the, the water in the river. We're trying to cling to things that are flowing by. We try to hold on to a stable snapshot of reality. Reality is not like that. Reality is a movie. It's constantly moving, moving, changing, changing. And if you don't keep up, you get swept away. And when you reflect on this, that we're going to have to lose everything, you start to see how dangerous it is to, dangerous and unreasonable it is to cling to things. Cling to anything. Anything that you hold dear It's not a source of strength or, or happiness It's a strength of weakness and stress A source of weakness and stress And number five What, are we, what do we really own? What do we really have as a possession? Our deeds Our good and bad deeds you ask yourself, what are you going to carry with you? What is truly yours? What truly belongs to you? The only answer is our good and our bad deeds. We carry them with us. We never let. We can never let go of them. We can't sell them. We can't give them away. We can't shake them. And on the positive side, if they're good... No one can steal them, no one can take them away from you. People can take away pretty much everything, including your life. But they can't take away your good and bad deeds. These things that make us who we are and give us our sense of worth, our sense of happiness and contentment. A person who is intent upon evil has evil as their possession. They carry it with them in their mind And they carry it with them as who they are An evil person A person with an evil mind A mind that is Habitually unpleasant Displeased Cruel, mean and so on 
อบินหังปัจเวกิตบาปัจเวกิตบัง These things should be frequently reflected upon. It's easy to remember old age, sickness, death, loss of everything you hold dear, and or the fact that the things that you hold dear are not don't belong to you, and that your deeds, good and bad deeds, are something that do belong to you. So. This isn't a med. This isn't helpful for your meditation directly, but a real important reason for giving these talks is to inspire you to continue meditating. And I think this is a really inspiring teaching. Not the teaching itself, maybe, but the actual practice. If you put this into practice, reflecting on all five of these, the Buddha goes into quite detail, and it's really neat what he says. He says, um, as one often reflects on on this theme, the path is generated. That's the, the English. It's not very poetic. Let's see if I can find the Pali. Mago Sanjayati. The the uh, the path is born. The path is the path arises, meaning they they start to see the the right way. They start to set themselves right, and that I, it's really a, a neat little saying because that's how it feels when you wake up to this. Hey, I'm going to die. Oh, you realign your 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 priorities, right? Suddenly, those things that you thought were so important no longer seem so important. Old age is inevitable. Sickness is inevitable. Death. It's not pessimistic to think about them. It's a reasonable concern, and if better you deal with it now, so that you're you're okay with it in the end. You're ready for it. Because so many of us are not ready for it. I mean, that's the thing. You you don't have to think about the future, but if you do think about when you die, most of us are frightened of it. Are afraid of it, and so it's a good test. If you think about these things and it doesn't bother you, and you think, "I'm ready for all that," then you're good to go. And until then, we remind ourselves of them, and they help realign us. They get us on the right path. So you say, "Hey, these things are not so important. The only thing that's important is good deeds, being full of goodness, both in the mind and in the body." Good deeds, good speech, good thoughts, a clear mind, a pure mind, a free mind. So there you go. Five things to reflect upon. That's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. questions here.
unclear about the Dhammas category. Please advise. Well, I've talked about this. I'm kind of unclear about it myself, admittedly. Um, but I think of Dhammas as the, the sorts of things that a meditation teacher would advise a meditation student. So Dhamma here I think of as the teachings of the Buddha, really. Um, at the same time as being sets of reality, but it's not all of them, it's just the ones that are important for meditators. So the first one is the hindrances. And I would take just take it as an expanded part of the practice. I mean, another thing that you have to understand is this sutta was given to a specific audience, or it was also given to an audience. It was given with the audience in mind. So as they're listening to it, and even as we read it or as we hear it, um, when you get to the Dhammas, by that time you've already started to uh, set yourself on the practice. And so by the time you get there, all of these things are, are useful as an addition to that. You know, if you're, if you're quick. I mean, this would have been taught to people who probably had fairly advanced faculties. So, I mean, it's in, just interesting that Dhamma isn't one thing, it's many different things. So it appears to have been, or I would guess it's, it's um, sort of a... a uh, uh, progression, you know You teach them in that order I mean, it certainly works If you study them in the, in the order that they're given They make a good um, progression Or progressive practice For beginners, we just start with the five hindrances And the six senses Tanha pachaya upadana Upadana here mainly refer to Kamupadana, or does include all four types. How do you explain Diti Upadana? Being caused by craving. I don't like these questions. What does that question, does the answer to that question really help you? Maybe it does. It's too tough a question. I want easy questions. Easy questions only. I don't know. I don't think I'm the one to answer that. Uh, my 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 first guess is that it probably is only Kamupadana. But that's not even true. Ditupadana. I think that the the um the different ways of talking about upadana cannot cannot be always used in the same context. But it's an interesting question. Reality, non-reality, you have spoken of constructs. Can you please explain what they are? Um, construct, well, it's just a word, but generally we use that word to refer to things that arise. Because anything that arises has conditions that cause it to arise. Um, and without those conditions, it doesn't arise. So in a sense, it's constructed, or it's a construct. Sankara is the word we use, formation or construct. Uh, although I have used the word in a different way Like a mental construct Is a concept So you can create something in your mind um, The thing itself is, is not real uh, The thing is something you've imagined in your mind Like a rabbit with horns, say You can think of it in your mind But that horned rabbit doesn't actually exist It's just a thought in your a picture in your mind You know So I'm, I, it could be used in different ways, I suppose. 
don't use that word that often I hope When I meditate, I become happy in the moment, don't take my overbearing responsibility seriously and follow a secular path of normal people. When I stop meditating, I want to ordain. How would I find the middle ground between these two? Also, would a person's extreme sense of responsibility, would you say a person's extreme sense of responsibility is an overcompensation for something such as guilt? I don't really quite understand what you're asking. Um, you're happy Overbearing responsibility Secular path But when you stop meditating you want to ordain I don't know I'm just going to say If you want my advice Keep meditating Keep being mindful Be mindful of all these things You'll find the answers for yourself It's much more simple maybe Than you're making it Visasa Paramanyati mean that the trustworthy person is the ultimate relative, familiar to us, but not really trustworthy. Yeah, intimate is the word I meant, not familiar. Someone who is intimate. And so as a result as a result you trust you trust them. Someone who but it's used in a sense of being familiar in the sense that uh, you know that they wouldn't mind. It's not uh, It's about trusting each other It's not about being trustworthy It's about trusting each other That word does mean trustworthy I think it's, or it's used in that sense But I don't think that's directly what the word literally means um, When you trust each other So you, see, you, you can Someone who is a trusted or intimate So in a sense familiar That's all I meant by that it's yeah, you're right, it's probably not the best word I could use Intimate might be better But not even intimate It's, um Yeah, people you can trust, I guess People who you trust Let go of our names, are they considered attachments? Names are just concepts And they're useful tools that allow us to refer to things Just don't get attached to it Don't get attached to them Thinking of mantras disturbs my breath, does it? It feels less smoothly, really When I focus on the stomach rising without the mantras It's more fluent and pleasant hmm. Is the mantra supposed to do that or am I doing it somehow wrong? No, you're doing it right, that's the mantra doesn't do that It's when you stop um, Controlling And when you stop Fixing it That uh, That it starts to be unpleasant You get out of that groove The, the comfortable groove Of enjoying it right? Because you can create pleasurable sensations in the in the mind if you want, uh, but all, the, all you're doing is creating more and more attachment. What the mantra does is it forces you to see things without clinging to them, without uh, attaching to them. 
as a result that it doesn't feed our addictions it doesn't feed our desire for pleasure our desire for for uh, tranquility and so that's uncomfortable mantra is meant to take you out of your comfort zone and, and straighten your mind so that you, instead of being attached to the pleasant feeling you're, you're objective and flexible and able to experience things however they may be it helps you see impermanence I mean, what you're seeing is impermanent suffering and non-self especially non-self because you can't control you want it to be smooth and it's not smooth suffering how can we make a positive difference trying to help people with compassion wisdom visiting a temple soon and I have no idea how to pro properly offer food at this ceremony to the monks is there a specific way um, yeah, I mean, I can't speak for those monks But monks in general are pretty laid back about it They're just happy that people are giving them food <laughs> I mean, otherwise they die So uh, I wouldn't worry too much about that You might get some lay people trying to tell you how to do it Or even the monks maybe get caught up in this way or that way But in the texts, uh, it says that even if an, a novice were to be sitting on the shoulders of a monk and uh, and drops a, a lump of rice in his bowl, it's considered properly offered. Making the point that, uh, yeah, it's it's much more about making sure that it's given. I mean, we take as a rule to only eat food if it's given to us, and that keeps us honest. We don't ever go looking for food or wanting for food. The only way we can possibly stay alive is if people want us to stay alive and uh, the only the only food that we can eat is food that is blamelessly given. People wanted to give it. They were happy to support us. It's not coerced, coerced or, or bought by some favor or by some exchange. It's given because someone genuinely wanted you to have food. That keeps you quite honest and quite humble. Um, as far as making a positive difference, I mean, if you want to make a positive difference, that's an attachment, so better off to let that go. Just do what comes naturally and mindfully, and that'll be good. What do you think about mystic experiences that use suffering, use fuel to have more intense experiences? I don't think about them at all, really. Some in society say the future is your brain on drugs. What do you think about this blasphemy? I don't think about it at all. Sorry, questions unrelated to what I do. I'm not that keen to answer them. There's just too many. And I don't really have answers. So, hope that was at least somewhat... Uh, satisfying and if it wasn't well go meditate and let it go good night everyone thank you all